You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. This is Hal Luftig with my Broadway podcast network show, Broadway Biz, where every episode I will chat with my friends, some of the top theater professionals in the business, about the business of Broadway. My guest today is Hyun Ha Choi, international producer of performing arts for CJENM. Yuna and his team at CJ have been incredible partners for Kinky Boots in Korea. I could not have been more grateful for their work to make this American musical such a success abroad. Yuna has keen insight for producing theater in many countries. I'm so grateful he's taken the time to share what he knows on this episode of Broadway Biz. So I'm very pleased to have Yuna as my guest this afternoon. So let's give a big Broadway Biz welcome to Yuna Choi. Hey, Yuna, how are you? Hello, Hal. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. Oh, good, good. You know, as most of my listeners knew from my introduction, you you uh, travel back and forth from Korea, from Korea to London, London to New York. How has that all been for you in this um, crazy age of COVID and travel? It's um, there. There are fewer trips, obviously. Uh, when the pandemic happened, um, I think it was February uh, for us. I was actually in the UK attending the uh, the previews for Back to the Future, the musical at the Manchester Opera House. And uh, it was quite a quite a journey back because I was beginning to get 
a little bit scared about this whole new pandemic. And I was in New York for most of the time, mostly at home. But I had to go to Korea for about four months for work um, during the summer months. And quarantining for 14 days in Korea and quarantining for 14 days coming back is really not easy, especially with jet lag uh, on top of it. Um, but I'm glad that I went and, and saw what I saw. And I'm really glad that I'm back, uh, back in New York. No, we're glad to have you back in New York as well. And I, I should disclose to our listeners, too, that uh, during the pandemic, um, and I think South Korea got this so correct, that um, during the pandemic, you were able to have theaters open. And in fact, Kinky Boots, one of your and I productions, was playing um, over there during the pandemic. And we had a shutdown for a couple of days, correct? Because of uh, a little scare, but then we were able to go right back up at, and it was at a reduced capacity. Is that correct, Yuna? That's right. Um, for Korea, there was actually uh, never a government imposed shutdown or a lockdown, but many shows had postponed or cancelled out of caution or because of lack of business because when you have a pandemic fewer people are willing to go to the theater um but for for kinky boots it was in a very unique situation um we were set to open in mid-august um but the week before it there was a public holiday and that created a second spike in in korea especially in seoul and again, uh, we had reason to believe that some of our company members might, ha might have been implicated by, by COVID. So we had to stop the show for seven, uh, seven performances for about a week and get everybody tested and to have extra um, precautionary measures um, uh, implemented into the theater. And then we reopened at 50% uh, of capacity. Now, before August, it was at 100 um, of course, many of these shows were not selling 100%, but we, we had the option to sell 100%. But uh, since August, social distance seating uh, was imposed by the government and we could only sell about 50% of, of the capacity. That's it. Even with that, I'm just curious because you're one of the few people, I've, I think maybe the only person I've spoken to that has had theater actively running during this time. At the 50% level, did you find resistance to people to actually go to the theater or, or were people still willing to go because they trusted that Every all the precautions were in place, and and um, people were tested, so they didn't have to worry about you know stepping indoors and getting infected. How did that how did that work? I mean, I mean, since the the pandemic struck Korea earlier this year, the landscape looks different, even with the people who actually go to to the theater. Now, the general public, I think, they are still a little bit reluctant to see a show, and they would rather stay home. But the people who are devout theatre fans are, are still willing to come see a show. Uh, actually, that we, we found three or four months into the pandemic, they yearned to see a show so much that some of the shows actually um, were selling better than last year or the year before because they were craving for, to, see, to see shows. And because by August we were six months into the pandemic, people had gotten a little bit more used to it. To this new normal, and they, it's it's very very um, um, visually um, uh, visceral when you walk into a theater that the the the, the testing the 
the questionnaires, the temperature checks, and uh, the mandate to have masks on all the time, 100% of the time. Um, it, it's very, very vivid in, in directions for the audience members and towards the crew members. So I think that gives a, a layer of confidence for people to enjoy the show. Obviously, it's not the same as before. I mean, people are less vocal in their cheers and their applauses, but for, for Kinky Boots, we we could really see that people were having a really good time after the show when we, when we asked them how, how they enjoyed it. I think it's that, that level of sort of relief that they can go see a show if they wanted to that's creating a, a different um, sort of air of, of, of fun for, for people, although it's less visible um, uh, when, you, when you talk to them. Well, I might be biased, Huna, but uh, I was sent a clip from uh, your production, um, a curtain call, as a matter of fact, and I, I couldn't tell if that was at 50% or 100%, but it looked pretty full of me. And the audience was, you know, as usual, going crazy. And in fact, it really, it went to me and the, the writers, Har Harvey and, and uh, Daryl and Cindy and Jerry, and we all moved almost to tears by, you know, the... Um, the enjoyment, the the resurgent of of that joy, you know, back to our show, and it, they looked like they were having a great time to us, and it just really moved us to tears. So unless that was a fake, <laughs> fake curtain call, <laughs> um, it looked like they were having a great time too. No, it, it was completely real, and I think I think I know which video you're referring to. I saw it on on, on Jerry's Instagram, and that was at fifty, believe it or not, and it, it wow. looks more full, but. But I think that's just the optics. And it was actually quite full. It was 50%. We, we, we basically sold out what we could sell. So it was a really good night. And during the curtain call, this is when, this is like the one moment when the, the usually quite reserved Korean audiences really get into it. And with a show like Kinky Boots, which has a fantastic curtain call, is when people really get up and sort of get out of their usual character and just join in the fun. Of course, you would have noticed that everybody was wearing masks properly. Um, and you can imagine what the atmosphere would be like when there's no COVID and how people would be just be uh, elated um, to see the curtain call. But but yes, it was it is a, an incredibly touching moment, even for us, um, because we can see it, you know, close by, close closely looking at them. It, it's not just um, a sentiment of, of fun and joy. There's that layer of sort of very being being moved by the show and being moved by the fact that they are able to see a musical despite of this very difficult situation around the world. Yeah, I just want to share with our listeners one last anecdote, and then we'll actually get <laughs> to why we're on the air talking. Um, the uh, first time I went over to uh, Seoul to see the very first, your very first production of Kiki Boots, I remember you telling me that, that Korean audiences are different than uh, U.S. audiences and that they are very reserved. You know, they, they don't usually hoot and holler the way we do or applaud loudly the way we do. Um, and that doesn't mean they're not enjoying it. That usually comes at the end. So the first time I saw it, I remembered you told me, but it's sort of, I didn't cognitively get it. So after the first number, which gets a big round of applause here in the US, 
there was very polite, if you want to call it that, you know, applause. And I thought, oh, my God, they're hating this. Oh, my God, they're hating. And and as the evening went, you know, and I just, oh, my, what did we do? And, and then at the end, as you had told me, it erupted that audience erupted into what was like a rock concert. I never saw anything like it. And they wouldn't leave. They stood there and applauded and stomped and, and for like 20 minutes. I, I just couldn't believe what I was what I was seeing. I think the cast came out three times and it was it was uh you were so right. So I just wanted to tell that little anecdote to our listeners that, you know, I've learned culturally the way an audience reacts is is you know very ingrained into that culture so so Huna, let's uh, let's get started um uh, i wonder if you could describe to me what your role in c j e n m is and maybe give a little history of what of of c j e n m to our listeners who may not know uh, sure um c j e n m a lot of letters um is one of um Korea's largest and most active entertainment companies. Uh, it's divided into film, television, music, animation, and of course, performing arts. Um, uh, you might have heard a film called Parasite uh, earlier this year, which won Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, that's one of ours. Uh, um, it was a, a fantastic. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh, Bong Joon Ho is a, is, a, is a legend, is a living legend right now in Korea uh, as a director. It's one of our films, and if. Uh, you're one of those people who are into Korean dramas. Um, there's uh, several TV series that that can be uh, viewed on Netflix, even in the United States. Mr. Sunshine and Crash Landing on You are two examples. They're on Netflix, but they are CJ E&M produced. Um, I specifically belong to the Performing Arts Division. I've been with them from 2006. Uh, we mainly produce musicals in Seoul and here in New York. And my role as their producer and head of international business, is to produce and co-produce shows on the West End and on Broadway, and then work with those productions to be replicated in Korea and sometimes in other countries. Um, I've been here in New York for the past six years serving that role. And some examples of, of our involvement include, of course, Kinky Boots, which obviously, uh, which is a production that we worked very closely with you. Um, which just finished uh, finished its fourth engagement in Seoul. Other shows we, we produce uh, include 42nd Street, Big Fish, and we are um, just about to open um, Beetlejuice uh, in Korea next year, uh, which will be, I think, the first production um, after Broadway. So it's really exciting. And after that, we'll be doing um, uh, Back to the Future, the musical version, which um, will be in London uh, next summer, and then we'll be following up with uh, Asian productions in the coming years, and um, and the musical version of Moulin Rouge, which is a, a, another show that we are co-producer on. We're talking with the producers about taking that show to Korea also. You guys are involved in a lot of diverse uh, projects, which I think is terrific. Uh, Yuna, can you talk to me a little bit about how you ended up at, at CJ, more specifically, what was your relationship to the theater and the arts growing up and how that helped you uh, obtain this, this quite important position within the company? Unlike here in the US and the UK, musical theater is not a traditional genre for us. It's actually a relatively young genre of entertainment. 
and, and I didn't experience that much of it growing up. I certainly was not a, a showbiz kid of any sort. I didn't have any talent in the areas of performing or anything like that. So <laughs> join the club. <laughs> so I, I wasn't one of those people. Um, but um, I do remember my parents uh, taking me to see Cats when it opened in London. Uh, we were living in London back in the 80s, and I was really impacted by it. Uh, to be absolutely honest, I was a bit scared of the show rather than rather than enjoying it. I was a little bit scared of Cats, to be honest. But but the, sh- the experience itself was really impactful. Um, plus the fact that my father worked as a film executive for a Korean studio, I think that influenced my pathway a great deal also. Specifically, how I came into the business was when I was in college, uh, university. I studied business and I was exploring what to do when I graduate. I stumbled upon a job which was to translate theatre shows uh, between British or American creatives uh, who have flown into Korea to translate for them uh, between them and the local Korean staff. This was in the early 2000s when mega musicals were just about to flow in to Korea from the United States and um, and the UK, um, such as Phantom of the Opera, Mamma Mia and Aida. And I worked as the director's translator for Aida. And that was a, 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 an eye-opening moment for me because th- that was when I learned that musical theatre is actually uh, not only a very fun genre, it's actually a very live and a very personable genre. And I was intrigued uh, how this new genre was being quickly being adopted by Koreans, how it how how um, it affected the audiences every night like no other type of entertainment. I'm a big movie fan. I like television. But what I like most about theater is the visceral experience that you get to see every night from a live audience. And I feel that to be the most gratifying part of, of being in the, in the theater industry. So I started off as a theatrical translator. And then I, uh, at the end of that, I, uh, I was given an opportunity to intern for CJENM in 2006. And I've been working with them uh, ever since. Um, CJ is, is, a, is, a, good, is a great um, uh, place to work for me specifically because I have interests uh, in television and film, and because you know, although we have our own unique responsibilities, it's good to be in a, a company that has many divisions and to be within proximity of other genres and to interact with those professionals who work for different outlets of entertainment. Fascinating, because I didn't know I've worked with you for six years now, and I didn't know a lot of that. So thank you, Yuna. When you look at a show either CJ invests in or invests in so they could do a Korean production. You know, what is it that you look for? For example, I know Kinky Boots was a huge success. What was it about Kinky Boots, the story of Kinky Boots, that uh, CJ and you thought would work in Korea? When we, you would remember, I think our first involvement um, on Kinky Boots started in 2012, and this was before Broadway, and this was before the Chicago um, tryout production. Um, I remember being introduced to this project, Kinky Boots, by Aaron Lusbader, the, the general manager of the show. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we didn't know what the source material was, and um, we all, all, we knew that it was Harvey Weierstein, Jerry Mitchell, and Cindy Lauper. Um, so it, we, we figured 
well, the, the, the initial concept, the initial image and the title seemed a little bit risque for us and, uh, and for the Korean uh, audiences because it involved the drag queen and Korea was, was not used to um, uh, such subject matters. So we, we, we were reluctant initially before we read the script and listened to the demos and saw the source material, the, the British film. But when we, when we, when we actually um, saw the material, uh, we felt that um, the subject matter aside, this is a story about acceptance, about an unlikely friendship, about success and the efforts to get there and what people learn during the journey of that success. So we felt that it was a, a universal theme with very unique um, unique um, subject matter and a very unique character in it. So we saw through uh, and, and we, we, we went beyond the initial sort of bias that we had before we read the script and we um, sort of fell in love with it. And we talked to Aaron and to you and one thing led to another. We were a part of the, the Broadway co-producing team and, you know, thankfully it was a, a massive hit over here in New York and we wanted to do it very, very quickly in Korea. And we still to this day are thankful that you and the whole creative team allowed us to to put it up in Korea so soon, which was, I think, 18 months um, after the Broadway opening. So a, a show like Kinky Boots at the time is not was not a typical um, show that we would go for, uh, but we took a gamble. And it really paid off. And I think um, to the theatrical industry in Korea, I think it, 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 it is a good movement because um, it's nice to open up new subgenres of musical theatre to our audiences. And it's very, very heartening to see our audiences react to the story, react to the music, react to the theme, and, and, and basically making them hungry for new musicals that come from Broadway or the West End. And do you think having so successfully done that, as you said, with Kinky Boots in Korea, that that will allow CJ and you to uh, look at more diverse, different kinds of entertainment for the Korean audiences? Yes, I think so. Um, because musical theater is still a, a young genre and a, and a growing genre, we cannot go overboard and, and try to replicate what everything that's going on on Broadway and expect our audiences to react instantly. We cannot expect that. So it's one at a time. Um, what we learned through that process was that even as producers, we sometimes have biases or preconceptions uh, without actually seeing the show or reading the script. And we just, um, you know, uh, brush it aside and look at shows that seem like a more surefire hit. Now, we've learned the lesson of, like, there can be hit musicals that are slightly different in its character or, or slightly different in its approach that still has a universal theme and, and it's still fun and it's still moving. Um, so I think a diverse array of shows will be introduced and it, it already has started, that movement has already started in the last five years. So we are expecting new shows to come to Korea and to be accepted uh, by the public a little bit more than, let's say, 10 years ago. I totally agree. And it sounds like what you have on your plate coming up is just that, is a diverse different kinds of musicals, everything from Back to the Future to Beetlejuice to Moulin Rouge. It sounds like these are 
very different kinds of entertainment for an, uh, an audience that has been very traditional up to this point. So be very curious to see how that unfolds as we move forward. Tuna, I wanted to ask, since you, as you mentioned, you were part of uh, Kinky Boots very early on in New York. You saw it in Chicago. You then were with us when we were developing it in previews in New York and open in New York and so forth and so on. Uh, so you saw how we actually you know, produced and put the show together. What For your listeners, could, could we talk a little bit about what it's like to transfer a show from New York to Seoul and what you saw or experiences as some of the differences in producing it in one country as opposed to the U.S.? Sure. Um, it, it, it is different and it's, it, it is a process. And no show is exactly the same. But, but, you know, basically the first thing, the first order of business is to get the rights. Uh, we felt lucky and proud that we co-produced Kinky Boots and thus did not have to get into a bidding war with 12 other Korean producers. Um, but we do sometimes with other shows. And that's a whole different episode because there's a lot of, lot of um, situations that, that can get very, very funny. Um, in getting the rights, I think the central part, the central conversation is if we want to do it as is, i.e. a replica production, or if we would like to make changes. For instance, if we just take the book, music and lyrics, but have our Korean local creatives direct, choreograph and design the shows themselves, that's called a non-replica. It's a different uh, structure. And sometimes we can decide um, which one to do. Sometimes we don't have an option. We are, you know, we are um, asked to do a replica or asked to do a non-replica. But that's the first question usually uh, when we're talking to producers or agents or, or creatives. I can't say which is harder or better, replica versus non-replica. For Kinky Boots, which was a full replica production, it was a definitely a larger endeavor because we have to work with both worlds, the Broadway creatives and producers and our Korean production, marketing, PR uh, and 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 creative team. Um, so it's they're they're from different cultures, speak different language, but they have to work together to to bring this show to Korea in in, in its almost exact form, but also turn it into the Korean language and to make it work for our Korean audiences. That's a that's that's quite a challenging thing to do. With some shows, they do not allow a single change to the show while other shows have a more flexible approach. I think with Kinky Boots, as I recall, um, there were elements of the show that were sort of like the Bible. You know, you, you, you cannot change this. But there were other elements um, that we were able to convince the creative team that we need to change this little bit to make it work for our audiences. And it's an ongoing process. You know, we're in, we, we just finished our fourth engagement in Seoul. And every season, uh, I think there's more flexibility in our approach. Um, but also, you know, we're, we're, we're always um, uh, open to um, listening to Jerry or, or to Harvey or to Cindy about the reason why they don't allow certain changes. It's not just a matter of, you can't change this because this is my show. Um, they um, tell us why we shouldn't change this part because this is, you know, deeply embedded into the heart of the show. And changing that would 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 make more 
uh, damage uh, than you know than, than good. So it is a, a very very close um, process of conversations, um, and it can get very heated sometimes. But it's also very interesting um, to to have that back and forth between the American team and the Korean team. Yeah, yeah, I remember one of those, and and please add others because I I find this really interesting. Um, I hope our listeners do about about what kind of cultural compromises one has to make to make the show as relevant, you know, in one country as it is in the other. And I remember one of our first hurdles was casting the role of Lola. Do you remember this? And you know, they at Harvey because you were. The first or second foreign production, Harvey was insisting that Lola be portrayed uh, by a black actor. And when we explained to him that's probably going to be harder to find in Korea, we we actually all sat down and asked him why it needed to be this. And he, you know, told us it was because it was, you know, one more layer of Lola feeling like she was out. They were <laughs> outside of the, you know. The realm outside the box, if you will. The uh, gentleman who was finally cast, the first Lola, he was just amazing. I'll never forget that he he took the role and made it more heartbreaking than flamboyant. And I thought that worked beautifully because you almost felt like this person had to, you know, be be the Lola character. He could not have lived in the world being anything else. And that was the first time that was an eye-opener. I think the creative team really saw that. So that would be an example. Do you have a, an example of where we needed to change uh, some things in the show to make it culturally, I guess, acceptable in Korea? Of course, and the the, uh, the casting is always uh, an issue. It's usually the biggest issue between the, the Broadway side and the Korean side because we see it differently. Um, race, of course, in Korea is pretty uh, homogenous still. So it would be very, very difficult to find white actors or black actors or Hispanic actors. Um, so we have to make do with the, the Korean actors, but somehow pick the right person who who's of course not not of that race, but who can portray the sentiment and, and, and the emotion of that particular character. Um, and I think the casting, because, because in Korea, the shows are not open runs, and they're not designed to run forever, as they are in, in New York. Um, the producers are more sort of anxious about getting a star or a named person into the, the, the lead roles. And that's usually a, mo a moment of, of, of friction uh, between the creatives and the Korean producers, sometimes because the, 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 the artists want the perfect person um, to play those roles, while the producer might want somebody who's really good for the role, but who can sell tickets or who has media value. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we find a middle ground, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes you know we we, we don't successfully cast the person who's uh, who who works for that particular role. But for Kinky Boots again, I think it did really work pretty well, um, where we hired uh, a person to play Lola who was who is lesser known in the industry, but who has since become a star of musical theatre. So that was a really good example. Um, for us, there were small tweaks and changes in the script, 
But what I recall, the biggest change was, I think, in the second season, um, back in 2016, when Jerry flew over and we had multiple meetings about this, but we asked him to extend the curtain call, which was met with resistance uh, at first because it was the perfect length. And we, we did not disagree to that, that, that opinion. But again, because Koreans really want to... Um, get involved, but it takes a little bit of time for them to warm up. We felt like if we could expand the curtain call a little bit and maybe have the angel characters come down from the uh, the stage to the auditorium, that would accentuate the fun of the experience, you know, two times, three times uh, of the original curtain call. And again, it was met with resistance uh, in the uh, in the beginning, but you know, eventually we, we um, convinced uh, Jerry and his team that this was the way to go. And thankfully he agreed and he actually designed the, the curtain call for us and it worked really, really well. Unfortunately, we couldn't do that in this recent season because of social distancing, but those were one of the things that, one of the things that really worked for us. And it, again, it was a conversation. It wasn't, we need to do this or else. It was like a gradual sort of, persuasion of the reason why we want to do this and to see it work. I think that has um, led uh, Jerry uh, to believe that, okay, sometimes um, different countries um, require different approaches. So that was one of the things that we, we like to, um, to sort of, to think about. You know, and why I'm very appreciative that CJ was very attuned to that and, uh, you know, cooperated when they can, but stood their ground when they felt something really needed to be changed. And you were 99% right. You know, since this is a, a, a show ostensibly about the, you know, the business of Broadway and how the financial side meets the artistic side, how much did the financial impact make in CJ's decisions about you know, the artistic merit of the show. There's always a, a struggle internally, you know, for, for any producer because there's a struggle between the creative side and the financial side because they don't always work together. Um, you know, sometimes if you want to achieve something creatively satisfying, you there's a, there's a, there's a price tag to it. And because, like I mentioned, we don't have an open-ended run uh, like on Broadway, I think Korean producers tend to be slightly more cost uh, conscious than Broadway producers. I'm not saying that Broadway producers are not, but because uh, uh, on Broadway, you're, you're, you're designing your show to become a hit for a year, three years, five years, 10 years, or 30 years even, you're looking at the upside. You're looking at the upside a lot more than when the show doesn't perform as well um, as you expect. But in Korea, because we have a set time limit on the run, usually between two to five months, it's very important that the, uh, that the producer understands that the upsides of the production is absolutely limited. So, you know, the, you know, instead of thinking of the upside, we need to be more responsible, uh, responsible about if the show doesn't go in the way that we had hoped, how do we contain the losses? How do we um, reduce the losses that 
potentially can be incurred from this particular production. And when working with um, Broadway creatives, you know, again, it's it's a long series of conversations because we don't want to undermine the creativity or the quality of the show because the exact reason the exact reason why we are chasing after that show is because of the quality of those five, six, seven years of development. But at the same time, sometimes we are resistant uh, about um, when the entire US creative team, if they want to fly to Korea to do everything, um, because that's um, fees, royalties, but travel costs and hotels. And sometimes we feel like it's, it's, um, you know, it may be a better idea if we have person A, B, C and D come, but, you know, E, F and G, maybe they can, you know, guide our local staff members to do this well, um, because we, you know, we are more conscious about, you know, keeping the budget to a, a manageable level. Whereas over here, it is, you know, default that uh, the creative team are are present during the rehearsals and uh, the, the load-ins and tech rehearsals and have a much longer technical rehearsals. In Korea, the rehearsal time is very, very, very limited because, again, we only have a few months to make this work for us. And I think those are the elements that that we 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 fight uh, quite often with with the creatives, sometimes with the producers or the general managers, and we find um, a middle ground um, along the way. Juna, why uh, uh, you said this a couple of times that engagements are limited in Korea and they have a short run and then, you know, sometimes if successful, they'll come back. And uh, why are those runs limited? Is it because the Korean audience uh, only can sustain, you know, a couple of months and then after you close down for a year or two, their appetite is to come back and see it? Or is it a uh, real estate theater shortage or what? What causes that short term of a run? Um, it's it's a combination of both. Um, I think the first reason would be the market capacity, and because again we don't have a Broadway, i.e., we don't have a cluster of large theaters. We don't, and we don't have uh, as as many inbound tourists as New York um, does. Um, so it's it's locally uh, the the market is is almost ninety percent local audiences, Korean audiences. So the market capacity, although is growing, uh, we are yet to be at that stage where we can have a show of fifteen hundred seats um, selling uh, out, you know, every night for many many years. But at the same time, with the theatres, a lot of them are either subsidised by the government or the city, um, and some of them are completely private. But I think there is um, an element of fairness. Um, you, I mean, a theatre owner cannot give one producer or one production the whole year because they find it unfair to other producers or sometimes unfair to other genres of live theatre, like ballet opera or plays so they like to have a portfolio of their annual scheduling so that's another reason that commercial producers are not given more than you know three or four months uh, in a given year but i see you know as we you know evolve further more theaters will will be built and some of these new theaters probably will be dedicated to commercial runs of musicals and then we would have six month runs and a year-long runs and maybe longer than that, but it will be a process. 
Boy, Yuna, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be great if you could go meet our current theater owners and, you know, and, and sort of convince them that they should take a couple of theaters in each one of their chains and, and dedicate it to that same uh, philosophy that you have, that it's fair, that other shows need to be seen. And, you know, we're not going to just allow something to, you know, run forever that, this particular theater will only allow a three or four or six month run. And then, you know, it can move if possible, but, you know, it needs to make room for the next experimental piece. I think that will go over like a lead balloon, but it's a good <laughs> idea, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's very interesting because, you know, Korean producers actually think the, think the exact opposite because we don't have Broadway. We are, uh, endlessly envious about Phantom of the Opera running for thirty years, and think of the you know think of the profits and think of the the cultural impact of having a show that runs for thirty years because that never happens in Korea. But but like I, as you said, you know that has its own side effects because you know availability of theatre in New York is you know is very very tough, and and sometimes you know you want. Um, a theater to you know harbor new and more um, experimental shows um, instead of having a show run for many many decades. So while Koreans are envious of Broadway, and I think but but I think Broadway professionals might feel that um, having a much more diverse portfolio of shows for uh, for theaters could actually be a, a good thing too. You and I can go arm in arm and see if it works, but <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, really put much hope in it. You know, you talked about the local audiences. When you say local audiences, is that just uh, the residents of Seoul or does Korean theater pull from, you know, some of the out regions for people who come in and see shows? Well, Korea is, is about 51 million people, South Korea. The city of Seoul and its surrounding Greater Seoul area um, accounts for about half of that, 25 million. So it's a mega, mega city surrounded by big satellite cities. So, um, like in the UK, as like a lot of um, a lot of the, the culture is centered around London, Seoul is the center of London, uh, center of uh, culture, economy, entertainment, finance. So it's very centralized. So yes, uh, the local audience are predominantly from Seoul or its surrounding satellite cities. Um, that's why um, we don't yet have uh, a regional touring market that is as robust as we would like it to be because it's a relatively small country and so much of everything is focused in the capital city. What, what do you think in South Korea will be the key for people to come back and say, you know, I'm going to go back like I did before and not ever forget this, but recognize that it's a thing of the past. What, what do you, do you have any opinion on what you think that thing might be? Um, I think because Korea never technically had a shutdown yet, um, I think we won't have a reopening of sorts. I mean, we, I mean, we, we have been impacted by uh, COVID, but, you know, the shows did get to go on. Now, I think, you know, we, we are making uh, improvements uh, in the experience of going to the theatre. The ushers and the people uh, who work for the theatres are very, very good at their jobs. Um, not only disinfecting the the premises every day, but enforcing 
wearing masks, you know, doing temperature checks and having proper questionnaires about their health and their current symptoms, if any. Um, and contact tracing is another big thing. And, you know, I think it's more psychological than anything else because recently there was an article uh, in the Korean news uh, reporting that there had been about uh, 3 million theater goers since the start of the pandemic until last month so far. That includes musicals, plays, concerts, and what have you. So, uh, you know, quite a sizable uh, number of people, but there has been zero infections at any of the theaters. There have been a few cases where uh, some of the company members were infected, but only two of them for that production, and they were quarantined right away, and the show got to go on. There are a few, a handful of cases where uh, an audience member had COVID without him or her knowing, and he, and they were at the theatre, and then they left, but you know, they, and and then they discovered they had COVID. Upon contact tracing, they they um, they discovered that they had their masks on all the time. They didn't talk to anybody during the intermission, so they didn't infect anybody at, at during those two and a half hours at the theater. And you know, zero infections out of a million people—that's actually pretty safe. And as we get the word out that, contrary to people's uh, preconceptions of the theater, you know, i.e., a thousand people in a closed area. It's actually a very safe um, place because people are generally not talking during shows and they're facing the same direction. People are not allowed to put down their masks for even, you know, for even a couple of seconds. You would be chucked out of the theater if you do. So the general sort of con uh, consensus uh, among theater goers, like this is a responsible thing to do in order for us to protect this genre of, of entertainment that we like, in order for us to keep. To, to be able to keep seeing shows, we have to be responsible. We have to be, we have to be truthful when we fill out our questionnaires. We have to be wearing our masks properly. We have to wash our hands properly. We should not um, behave in the same way as we used to in the theatres. Meaning, we 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 can't chat with um, our friends uh, as much as we 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 used to. But it's a small price to pay to be able to see theatres and to feel safe. So I see that happening and, and the word gets out. I think there will be more confidence among the general public to return to theatres. God bless the, the, the folks of South Korea. Here in America, we can't get people to not throw trash on the subway tracks. Could you imagine saying to them, you can't speak or you have to, I just, it's like, I, I just can't fathom how that would go over in New York. Bless you and me, like Korea be a, South Korea be a beacon of light of how to do this properly. You know, I just, I wanted to touch, if you could for a second, personally for you, if you can answer this, what makes, what draws you um, as a producer to a, to a show, to a production? It, it, for me, because I've been with my, my organization for such a long time and I sort of grew up with the company, uh, so to speak, it's very difficult for me to sort of sort of separate myself from 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 my, my, my colleagues and, and the taste that they have. But of course, we don't agree um, on all of the shows. Our tastes sometimes diverge. All in all, um, I, I, I have sort of two pillars of, of taste. One is the more experimental type of shows. And this isn't a musical, but uh, a play. Um, one of my favorite live shows is um, 
is Warhorse, which played in in, um, in New York a few years ago, and in London. I saw it in London, and it was uh, a, a completely new experience for me because it had this very very minimalistic approach, but it was very very um, complicated at the same time. But the emotion from those puppets and the story was just uh, something that I had never experienced before. So I would go for that, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that we do Warhorse in Korea because of the, I know, the the business of the financial implications of it. So those are the shows that I secretly sort of um, um, sort of gravitate towards. But there are there are um, similar you know taste palettes uh, that that we share. For me personally, with with my colleagues and with the company, is because. Because I'm not from here and I wasn't born or raised in America, there are certain cultural subtle aspects that I can't claim to be uh, that I, as sensitive about as a seasoned New York born and raised producer. Um, so the shows that I've mentioned so far, there's a through line to them. They're, they are either based upon very famous uh, films or there are, they use... Um, music from our well-known musicians and artists. Um, but I think we we feel that that is not enough. We don't produce every single jukebox musicals or every single movie musicals. We feel that there is value in familiarity, you know, of a certain of a certain story or a certain film or a book or, uh, or a catalog. But we feel that Broadway is very good at creating an extra element of surprise in the productions that it's not only a jukebox musical, uh, but it's uh, it's a new musical using familiar source material. So I, again, I have these two conflicting tastes and it's usually a dance between what I sort of go for um, versus what I feel like my, um, my audiences in Korea would go for. And luckily, a lot of the times they do um, converge. That is great. Well, thank you for explaining that. Just having known you for so long and worked with you side by side for so many years, I was it was more of a personal inquiry, and I'm so glad you know I got to ask it. And and your answer was so beautifully said. So thank you for that. Um, I feel like I know you a little bit better now. Well, Huna, we're about to to end uh, our this wonderful conversation, but before you do, I have a section which is called the rapid fire section. And it's three questions that all I ask you to do is don't overthink it. I'll ask it and you say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay. There's no right or wrong. It's just, uh, just some fun stuff for our listeners. Okay. Okay. So the first question is what is your favorite musical? Oh, okay. Um, I'll be. I'm going to try to be impartial and leave out the shows that we've been involved in because I think that's fair. <laughs> I would say, uh, uh, Dear Evan Hansen comes to mind. There are many, many, uh, but, but that mm -hmm. comes to mind first. And, and the reason that the reason I, I like this show very much is not because it's it, it's the best musical of all time uh, necessarily. I feel I was very very surprised when I when I saw the show during its in development and, and on, on Broadway. Because it's such an unlikely subject matter for me and for, for, for Koreans uh, with an unlikely title role with a, a very intimate physical production. And to see this blow up into this global phenomenon 
that was very, very, you know, impactful to me. That's why I, I chose this musical. I agree. And it's, it, it's a, uh, it deals with a subject matter that although people don't want to talk about because it's very painful, the, the occurrence of suicide among teens worldwide is rising every day. But it's one of those things that if you don't know what the signs are, you know, a person may commit suicide before you even notice something is wrong. So it, uh, I think it's a very, very important topic. I agree with you. Okay, question number two is what is the wackiest moment you've ever experienced in the theater? And wacky can mean anything. <laughs> can it? Okay. Yes. Um, wackiest moment. Um... I can think of really wacky people that I've met, but moment-wise, <laughs> okay. Uh, um, okay. but wacky um, moment. I, I mean, the thing that comes to mind, again, again, you know, wacky may not be the appropriate term for it, but again, with the most recent production of Kinky Boots in Korea, we did a, a very weird thing because of the pandemic. We officially announced to audience members um, at the theater um, to specifically try and not to cheer so much, which is the direct opposite of what we usually do. Like I said, you know, we extended the curtain call because people need that extra time to, you know, to 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 bring that oomph and to express their emotion. But because it, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we don't want to take chances. We were sort of, you know, reluctantly urging people at the beginning of the show saying, don't scream and shout and cheer too much because that could make other members of the audiences um, feel less safe. So it, while it was a very reluctant thing to do, we, we had to do it. We chose to, to say it, announce, try not to cheer too much, which is the polar opposite of our sort of emotion and, and, and our intention and heart. So while I don't know if it's categorized as wacky, it was certainly one of the weirdest messages that we had to deliver to our audiences this year. Yeah, that counts as wacky. Yeah. That's right up there as wacky. All right, last one. What is something you hope to see change about the theater in your lifetime? For Korea in Seoul, I would like to see the musical itself become the star because we are still very reliant on, you know, people, reliant on lead actors, stars to pull the show, you know, commercially. And, 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 you know, that has its upsides. But we would like to, like, like with Tinky Boots and with Lion King and with all these other wonderful Broadway productions, where you, the, the show itself becomes uh, the star and it runs for, for a long time. Um, and to see uh, a show in Korea for, uh, that runs for months and months and maybe for years, I think that's what I would like to see in, in the years. Um, uh, while I'm while I'm uh, in this industry, uh, while in New York, I uh, feel that New York is best known for its flexibility and its diversity and variety. That's probably at the root of, of its you know competitive edge on on all you know areas of business and 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 and, and life in general. Um, but but what I've noticed working in New York is that there seems to be a rigidity in how a show is produced or developed. And I was really surprised by that. And there's good reason for that rigidity, but I'm a little bit concerned about 
um, the rigidity of, 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 of the processes hindering that diversity and flexibility that New York is, is the beacon of for the world. So I would like to see uh, more flexibility in, in, um, in how we conduct business uh, moving forward. Amen. I'm right here beside you on that. Thank you for joining us today. I hope our listeners were able to glean from just our, our what I think, brief conversation was what a special person you are, what a great producing partner you are, and how you so successfully bridge all three of those, you know, all three of those countries work because you you uh, know what you're doing, you know what to look for, and you know your audience so well. And I think that is uh, such a key element of being a successful producer. So I thank you for joining us today. I thank you for sharing your insights with our uh, listeners, and I hope when this is all over, you and I can meet like we used to do in New York and have a nice lunch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, we, we're looking forward to it. Please be safe, be healthy, tr- travel safely if you must. Let's promise each other that we'll see one another soon. Okay? I'm greatly looking forward to that moment. Let's, let's stay safe, safe until that moment comes. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Yuna. Bye. Thank you very much, Hal. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Broadway Biz. If you have any questions about today's episode or the business of Broadway in general, let me know on Instagram at Broadway Biz Podcast or via email at broadwaybiz at halluftig.com. Be sure to follow me at Broadway Biz Podcast for updates on everything Broadway Biz, the business of Broadway. Broadway Biz is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Huge thanks to Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Brittany Bigelow. This has been produced by Dylan Marie Parent and Kevin Connor and edited by Derek Gunther. Our fabulous theme music is by Nell Benjamin and Lawrence O'Keefe. To learn more about Broadway Biz, visit bpn.fm slash broadwaybiz. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.